Hello, everyone. Welcome back to um, our series of conversations. I think we should call it now because calling them technically special is kind of redundant mm -hmm. now because we were doing this almost every day. So we're going into this journey of conversations to, um, I don't know, figure out, you know, what, what these people are doing with their lives and how they're changing certain industries and spheres. And today we're joined by Eugene Ramirez Maponder, who is a artiste savant. Um, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, that, that's the official title on, on the podcast. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and uh, as you know, I'm joined by Rufaro, who doesn't like me these days because I've been like really inefficient. Uh, and Edwin, who I think still likes me, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it's a stretch, but go with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, Rufaro, are you going to say anything or you, you still hate me? Yeah, I, I, I still passive. I'm being passive aggressive, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, to all y'all who may not know, Eugene is, like I said before, a comic savant. He's a comic writer, artist, man of many talents, now running Comicsposed, or co-founded Comicsposed, um, which is a platform that brings together creatives in the comic book space and it's just the general comic book culture in Zim. So I promise not to do this in a Valentine sort of way, which is me going at length about, you know, things about a subject or someone while they're here. So I'll let Eugene introduce himself and give a brief background. Well, all right. Uh, thanks, Valentine. That was pretty spot on. Thank you, uh, Rufaro and Edwin, for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I think you did an exceptional job. That pretty much sums it up if you want to be brief. But um I'm a multimedia uh, practitioner, so I, I dabble in a lot of things uh, ranging from animation, illustration, uh, photography, video, the likes. Uh, I've been in the industry since 2008. Um, uh, and uh, yes, I'm popularly known for being the founder of Comexposed and trying to push the digital arts into uh, a more commercial uh, you know, stage where they can actually formulate an industry that employs people that are not just artists. Uh, so uh, that's been my my purpose or my life goal so far. Uh, my day job is uh, being the creative director at K Media Africa, uh, which is a multimedia uh, studio. It's a company that uh, renders multimedia consultancy and multimedia services to the advertising industry and uh, media industry at large. So that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Cool. Um, so that's really cool. So I guess we get right into it. Um, and you being an artist, uh, I've got artist friends and yeah. they tell me that, you know what, dude, uh, it's an extreme sport um, trying to become an artist, um, particularly in Zimbabwe, where even telling your parents like, hey, I want to be an artist, I want to draw for a living. It's like, what? Like, dude, mm -hmm. no, become a doctor or a lawyer or something. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's one of those things. Um, so my question is twofold. So the first part is, um, did you have a support system when you're growing up? And uh, were there Zimbabwean specific challenges um, to being in the creative space? Okay. Well, um, so I, I think I've fallen in, in, into the category of uh, the, the not so well understood or not so well supported group of uh, artists um, because uh, growing up, I, I grew up in, I'm, I'm, I was born in the eighties. So, you know, my, my childhood and so on, that was mostly in the nineties. So venturing into design and animation at that stage was often associated with what, uh, what was seen in popular media, which was limited to television back then. Um, and that, that was clearly just, cartoons, right? Saturday morning cartoons. And then maybe when it came to comic books or illustration, it's what you saw in the newspaper and the, in the cartoon section. So there was obviously um, a negative perception uh, in that, in that era, which, which was several times worse than what we experienced today, because uh, we didn't have the internet to, to kind of share ideas and to kind of globalize and accept the growth of you know cultures we know it today which is uh, you know the arts so um yeah much like performing arts uh, i'd say i didn't have that much of uh, of a support structure which explains my early education like my tertiary school education my uh, academic background is actually in political science so i'm actually a political analyst by academic qualification 
Uh, and a lot of the stuff that I apply today is um, a lot of self-taught um, kind of techniques over the decade. And uh, yeah, in terms of support within the family, it, it, it wasn't very, it wasn't overt. It was done with a lot of caution, you know, say get a, get a conventional education first and then try out this, this uh, design and animation stuff that you want to pursue so that you've got a safety net because there just wasn't that much uh, support for it. Um, so I think that's more or less the broader, you know, overview, summarized uh, version of that answer. Um, but it, it actually gets me thinking of um, a later period when I um, kind of got tired of working in, in the creative space because I, I kind of broke through by force. <laughs> and by that, I mean, I, I, I initially got into professionally working as an artist uh, through the advertising industry, which desperately needed what are called storyboard artists at the time. So while I was um, in university, you know, I, I got scouted by this one guy and I ended up doing storyboards for a prominent agency back then. Um, but what's interesting is that by the time I gained about five or six years of experience, I found myself actually lecturing at a tertiary uh, institution here in Harare. And I was a character design uh, lecturer and an animation lecturer with the, with the lack of academic background that I had uh, and with the high demand for people with my skills, I was accepted to actually take on that position first as a junior, then as a senior instructor. But it, it's just, uh, to me, it just, it serves as an indicator of just how much there is um, little support or understanding of what lies ahead for people uh, who choose this career path. Oh, um, so in terms of um, choosing a career path, sorry for the awkward silence. Far and I have been trading awkward silences for a while now. That seems like <laughs> you that. like that, Valentine, a lot. Like well, well played, Rafar. <laughs> well played. <laughs> um, so, so in terms of um, well, the question was twofold. In terms of Zimbabwe specific challenges, what have you faced that you can say has been unique to Zimbabwe? I know you've connected with creatives across Africa and the rest of the world, to be honest. Mm. So what challenges besides the internal um, support system, when you then venture into the, into the business itself, have mm. you seen as Zimbabwe specific challenges? Oh, I think um, that one is a bit easy to, to actually answer. The, the biggest challenge is, it stems from that same lack of understanding and it's in the devaluation of our work. That is the biggest challenge because uh, there's a stigma that what we do is um, number one, juvenile, number two, easy. Uh, so instantly when you appear in, in the offices or an office of a big corporate and you present your, your skills or your service, um, they're usually very excited to engage you because they've seen what you can do and it's very exciting whether you're an animator and you're doing stuff that is at the same level as Pixar. I mean, you guys have covered some, some really good studios that are here in Zimbabwe. And, you know, you can step in there and uh, present what you do, make your proposal, or they can actually approach you and you'll face your biggest challenge when you give them a quote or you finally provide them with an invoice because in their heads, they can't quantify. They can't, they can't justify why they'll be paying X number of thousands for a service that you're doing because to them, you know, you're supposed to press a button on a computer and then an image or a video or an animation shoots out the other side and that's it. So um, that is by far the greatest challenge, a challenge of awareness of the fact that uh, in every other part of the world you have, um, you know, I'm going to call them computer graphics professionals or digital art professionals committing, you know, four years or more uh, to, to gain these qualifications and these skills. But then we'll never have the same uh, reverence or respect as you would give um, an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor. But uh, with the way technology and art have merged so much, um, there's a lack of awareness of how much, like in my case, as a multimedia guy, one day I could be coding. And then the next day I could be modeling someone's building in 3D. 
And the next day I could be taking both of those things and making an interactive building that you use in an app or that you use in a VR experience. And it's no longer just art, but when you, you we've constantly had the challenge of having to distill what we do and, and you know break it down and say, look, to begin with, for me to produce, let's say it's an art piece, or let's say it's a digital painting, you know, promoting a product or a service. It's not something that I just sit down and, and wrap up in three minutes. That's hours of work. And if we're to put a value on each hour, then you need to be willing to accept that if my hourly rate is, you know, X per hour, then you need to be in a, in a position to appreciate that and accept that it's you know, you, you should be in a position to give equal pay for equal work. So I think that is one of the most ubiquitous kind of problems that that uh, creatives find, which is just they're constantly devalued, they're constantly undermined, they're not taken seriously as professionals. Because again, um, you know, Zimbabwe typically, uh, well, from, from my generation, at least, if you're a great student, you were excelling in sciences and mathematics and all of that stuff, right? So there's, there was a stigma uh, towards um, artists or creatives because it was almost like uh, an alternative or resort for the kids that weren't as bright, you know. So I realized that our seniors, the, the senior members of our, you know, business and so on, they kind of subscribe to that old school way of thinking where they say, okay, if you're not an accountant or a doctor, an engineer, that means you weren't smart in school, you know. <laughs> And, you know, when you put it all together, it's a, it's a bit of, um, it's it's quite a hurdle that we're forced to to jump over. Um, and luckily, we, we've gotten to a point where at least with technology and the internet and the applications of our work now, uh, they're forced to accept that there's a technical uh, aspect that is very advanced that, you know, even normal um, computer science experts would have a challenge grappling with. So, yeah, definitely the value issue is one of the biggest challenges. The perception is one of the biggest challenges. Um, and then on a more broader economic level, it's the demand for the work. <clears throat> it's, it's pretty low. Uh, of course, that comes with the advantage that if you're doing great work, then you can charge high simply on the basis of supply and demand. But it, it's also bad for competition. It's bad for growth. Um, and those are the immediate challenges that can come to that come to mind right now. Uh, interesting. So, so I like how you how you were mentioning that you know the creativity side of things is not really something that's um, that's seen as uh, actual work. It's not mm. hard. It's people expect you that you just click a button and things work. I mean, I'm, I'm also a media creative at Texim. I do oh, all great. the artworks and stuff. So like, I, I totally get you when you say that. And it's, it's mm. just something that resonates a lot with me. Uh, yeah, but yeah. also like looking, looking at the space in the past and now, um, mm. what has changed uh, aside from the number of players in the game? Are there any mm. institutional shifts and changes that you can speak to? Um, I think, I think um, some of the changes have come in unexpected ways and they've affected uh, the general kind of business uh, environment by force uh, because with, with the acceptance of the internet as a primary avenue to access audiences, for example, um, the you know the business community corporates and so on have been forced to start to compare their communication strategies with the global standards that are out there so there's that's one of the things that's caused a lot more of a shift uh because now you know traditionally zimbabwe is very it was very below the line advertising which means we 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 relied a lot on radio print you know, so that was just it. And because print required mostly graphic design, all you needed was a graphic designer, you know. Um, but with the fast moving international design trends, and of course, the fact that services are, you know, being rendered uh, and products delivered online and so on, uh, local businesses have had to look outward and say, okay, we're no longer just going to conform to the Zimbabwean standard of communication and design now need to be able to compete internationally. So that's brought on a change that's been forced on our businesses, right? And our corporate environment. 
and it's been good. It's been good because now you have, uh, I'll use the example of illustrators, guys who just primarily draw digitally. Um, they've be, their demand has just shot up because all of a sudden, you know, uh, businesses need mascots. Businesses want to communicate with characters that are a little bit more relatable. We've seen the, the rise of infographics and explainer videos, um, all sorts of things that were not really popular in the mid nineties to early two thousands are now the norm. And it's, it's, show, it's shown that um, if you're a business and you want to survive, you have to be able to embrace those things and learn about them. And hopefully when you learn about them, you gain an appreciation for how they're made. Um, we, you guys have featured a few prominent animation studios from here in Zim, in Zim that have gained in popularity rapidly. Uh, and the reason is um, the same animation services that they offer are comparable uh, and competitive with the with the stuff you see coming out of South Africa and you know neighboring neighboring markets. So as a result, it's forced a lot of um, parents to change. It's forced a lot of um, businesses and marketing departments to change their approach. It's forced them to read up more because now if you it's not just about being social media savvy. The media you know multimedia is consumed a lot more than text. So. You have to know more about motion graphics. You have to know more about um, video. You have to know more about animation. So that's that's the kind of stuff that is uh, prevalent right now. That's forcing our environment to change. And um, yeah, um, I think those are the changes that that we that we can look forward to. Sounds really good. Um, so yeah, uh, it looks like there's a brighter future for young creatives making it in, in Zimbabwe. So speaking about that on the business side, um, what has it been like co-founding Comexposed? Um, and can you like describe it for someone who's not familiar? Like I know it knows, but like for our viewers and listeners, uh, what is Comexposed and what has it been like co-founding? All right, oh, wow. Uh, it's been quite a journey with Comexposed. So um, I'll start by defining what it is. So Comexposed, uh, is an organization uh, that came about when uh, a colleague of mine named Tino Makoni uh, and I, uh, who were working as lecturers at the time, realized that we were teaching a lot of students um, and training a lot of students in uh, different fields such as animation and illustration, but we were releasing them into a country which really, or region which really didn't have a digital arts industry. Um, and that, that was a little bit heartbreaking because as much as we were beneficiaries of, uh, you know, these skills and as much as we had, at that time, we had both demonstrated that you can actually, uh, publish comic books that can be serialized. Um, what I mean by that is, um, I remember back in 2012, I had done a comic book for Gemazo Soccer Magazine called Hot Shots, and it, it ran for months, which is what you mean what we mean by a serialized comic book it's coming out like a newspaper or any other periodical so uh my colleague had also done a comic book back in 2009 called the gift i don't know if you guys remember that um and then later on as we became uh, when we got into the ac academic field and we were teaching and training these guys and they were graduating they were just you know falling flat on their faces doing the direct opposite of what we had trained them to so a lot of them ended up not even pursuing this. So we, we wondered what the difference was between the Zimbabwean environment and the rest of the world was. We realized that the rest of the world actually celebrates and promotes um, their own popular culture as a means of showing the value of the work that is done. And one of the examples I'm referencing here is Comic-Con, the uh, world-famous San Diego Comic-Con which has become, it's not just a comic book event, but it's, it's, a, it's a mecca for pop culture. So television shows when they're, you know, certain television shows when they're um, being announced or released, they, they're first debuted there. Uh, when certain video games are, are released or announced, they, they're debuted at San Diego Comic-Con. A lot of pop culture in terms of merchandise, um, the skills, the artists, the actors, the voice actors, et cetera, in essence, the entire industry just comes together at San Diego. And that's what draws value to that industry when you look at the Western uh, formula. And of course, because of the success of San Diego Comic-Con, which I believe is over 40 years now, 
uh, it's been kind of replicated across you know different countries in the world. Um, we noticed that Zimbabwe obviously didn't have something like that, and it would have been a great starting point for us to promote locally uh, locally made comic books and ideas and narratives and animations, but also to attract the attention of uh, businesses that actually require these services. Because one of the most common questions is, okay, there are people who do animation, but where do we find? You know, we've heard that, uh, we hear that a few hundred times a month, you know, or the, the famous statement, which is, I didn't know people in Zimbabwe were doing this. So we wanted to create number one, a network of artists, uh, and number two, a, a several platforms where they could showcase their work and then a physical event where we could all come and meet, share ideas and also accommodate the general public and let them into our world for once so that they can see firsthand uh, the value of what we do. And also in the case of partners such as Texim and other you know, uh, prominent businesses that I remember partnering with us in 2015 when we held the inaugural Comics Post, that actually showed up. And when you when you have a kid who's an aspiring artist or a client services executive from an agency who, who's uncertain about where to get certain services, showing up at an event like that and they see other corporates getting involved, they see older people getting involved, they see enthusiasts and they see several hundred people, you know, it waylays any fears of the risks of actually utilizing um, this medium for communication. So Comic Exposed has been running uh, as an annual event uh, since 2015. And we've had numerous other smaller events. And um, since then, we've uh, managed to attract partners that have helped us to run workshops, um, certain projects. Uh, one, one of the more recent projects that we've done for the past two years is DigiPoem. So we've partnered with the British Council and we've kind of merged uh, animation and multimedia together with poetry. Uh, this year, we could be doing something with BBC Radio. Um, and this is just an example of some of the things we've done in the past six years alone. Um, and Comixposed has been a facilitator, it's been an aggregator, it's been an accelerator, it's been a number of haters. <laughs> um, but uh, most of all, it's been a way of formalizing uh, and kind of representing that group of creatives and making them more attractive to the corporate world and uh, drawing, drawing the, prof the other professions into our world. I often say we don't really have a comic book industry until you find a comic book company in Zimbabwe with a team of lawyers or a comic book company in Zimbabwe with a team of accountants or one that you know, uh, re receives services from an auditor. You know, that's an industry where you can really accommodate multiple professions and you employ and bring value to, to different people across different fields. So that's what Comexposed is all about. And Comexposed also creates content. Uh, we have the Comexposed show, which has also been running for a little over six years now, if not more than six years, um, where we also present our own findings and share our opinions in the format of a YouTube show. Um, and we collect information, curate artwork, and talk about stuff that is uh, very grounded on the African continent and, and showing off our own interpretation of you know comic books and inter our own uh, regional interpretation of animations and so on and um yeah generally uh that's the long version of what comic exposed is and what it's trying to achieve and what it's done so far so yeah and yeah, in, in the six-year journey um because I, I haven't been like keyed into the comic book scene mm. the african comic book scene for a very long time Mm -hmm. um, I remember Bill Masuku uh, went to high school together. So he was my first introduction into what African comics could actually be because um, <laughs> that was my first exposure. And then um, Bill then recommended Juni Bar and Juni's mm -hmm. work is insane. Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to imagine what the first reception to his work would have been like to people who would have seen it for the first time. And to the, my question is like, what was the reception to Comic Exposed when it began? Like I know people would have been skeptical. People would have been, you know, you know, dipping their toe in just to check if it's all right. You know, mm. people obviously naysay it. So, what was the initial initial impression in contrast to what it is now? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, that, that's actually uh, uh, something I've had a discussion with uh, friends with, or even colleagues, just looking back in at the early days. Um, the reception was very, very cold. 
<laughs> uh, in the beginning, it was met with so much skepticism um, because of the same uh, doubts and the same, um, you know, negative uh, perceptions that I talked about earlier. Um, at, at the time we started Com Exposed as well, um, there was a there was a, a challenge that a number of startups and hubs uh, that were founded by young people, specifically in Harare, not necessarily allied to the arts, but just generally startups in in that space had failed, and unfortunately they had. I, I hate to put it this way, they had set a bad precedent uh, with regards to how people perceived uh, startups that are led by young people. So we, we, we had a really tough time because our problems were twofold. Number one, there was generally a bad reputation for, for startups. Um, and um, the second one was the, the niche area we were kind of approaching. It, it just sounded like it was a big joke uh, because I mean, comic books in Zimbabwe, come on, get real. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was, it was met with a lot of skepticism. It was very cold. Uh, I I I like to laugh <laughs> at some of our partners because we we probably we probably approached a number of uh, big people and big organizations back then. But because of their skepticism, I think what they wanted to do was wait out the risk, see how much of the risk we could take in terms of uh, funding everything ourselves. Because Comexposed for yeah for probably the first four or five years, it was funded out of pocket by, uh, you know, the co-founder, uh, Tino and myself. So um, when, when that risk seemed to pass, when we demonstrated our consistency, when we demonstrated, um, you know, our, our ability to, to be good administrators, uh, our ability to manage our own resources and make sure we could co-opt people to, to form a team when we needed, to expand and kind of contract when we needed, and, you know, it, it also was very difficult because if you think of the past six years or so of Zimbabwean, Zimbabwe's economic history, it, it's not a great time to be investing in something as frivolous or <laughs> as silly as comic books, you know. So, it, you know, it wasn't exactly the, the dream pitch that anyone wanted to hear. Um, so early on, it was it was definitely the hardest period, but... Uh, we believed in what we were doing. And I guess when we demonstrated we could do it and the risk seemed to pass away, um, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, our partners decided to, to get on board, uh, our current partners, that is, decided to get on board and support the whole effort that ComExposed has been running with. Um, to answer your second question about, uh, uh, you know, the artists, you, <clears throat> excuse me, the artists you mentioned, um, I remember uh, getting, being engaged a bit at a time because uh, in our first year, we were, we were breaking through and we were really trying to establish to the public what we were up to. So the engagement was higher than we ever thought. Our first event had over 300 people. Um, and then in the second year, we, we started uh, getting more engagement from artists we didn't know about, like, like the gentleman you mentioned just now. And um, a lot of a lot of it was exciting for us uh, because we really wanted our network to grow. Uh, one, of, one of our pillars is community. So we really wanted our network to grow. And upon seeing these guys, we were really, we were really relieved and excited because one question that we used to have was, can we have a comic book convention without locally produced comics? And it was absolutely pivotal for us to find the guys across the country who were doing this kind of thing. Um, I, looking back at the artists that I worked with early on, uh, yeah, their work wasn't it wasn't it wasn't amazing, but it always showed a lot of prof, promise. You know, um, they were of course very very talented artists that were doing um, amazing work that you'd never imagine was coming out of Zimbabwe. Guys like Kudzai Gumbo, guys like Walter Barnum, so and guys like Tina Makwani. Um, and then, of course, there were the more junior guys that showed that they were amazing storytellers. Uh, and yeah, as much as they had a lot of uh, a lot of catching up to do in terms of technique and style, the most amazing thing happened. And they they ended up with very large domestic followings like they had huge fan bases. You know, um, at one point I got into business with Enigma Comics myself 
and that lasted about two years and that was that was great you know uh, it was great being a part of that that particular franchise and uh actually working with bill actually contributing to the razor man comics as a creative director and also seeing the fan base grow and getting international recognition for what we're doing um and it's it's really rewarding when um you take that risk yourself you know we learned a lot about being snubbed early on so when these younger artists came up and wanted our support wanted our input because they knew of our background and our body of work it was good to say you know what i'm not going to repeat the mistakes of my seniors i'm going to try and uh also contribute something to these young guys and for me personally i felt like the rewards the rewards were always apparent because um a lot of as much as we didn't show up on ztv not that i can remember at least uh we you know we did have appearances on some you know uh, internationally recognized media outlets like bbc and cnn cctv al jazeera and so on so you know that that's a big plus and one one defining moment for me i remember i think it was in 2016 uh while working with bill when uh we decided to uh pursue online sales so we set up a whole website and a shopify account and we're selling uh these titles online competing with the rest of uh the international market you know and um yeah it was worth our while <laughs> surprisingly it was it was great so looking back at the journey that those are the two things that i can remember clearly uh the very cold reception of our idea when we first started comic exposed and then you know the the time period where different artists started to uh formally join the community and stick with us and they've stuck with us since and we we're, we're super happy about that fantastic and i like i like how you mentioned that uh, community and how it started and how it's growing you mentioned uh banda the it's interesting because i also learned with him in high school so like seeing him part of such a big community as well it's just mm. just interesting uh, yeah. but also like um uh, so i wanted to also ask how big the comic book community is in zimbabwe i mean apart from from the stuff that's comic exposed are doing what other communities are there out there that kind of act as platforms for artists and animators locally to i don't know hang out collaborate and the like Mm. Um so uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I don't want to I don't want to disregard anyone so I'm going to answer this one very slowly while I think about the never enough this. Sure. So um I'll I'll start off by saying this. Um Comic Exposed um came out it it came to being following other organizations such as jag j a a g it was um i always get this acronym wrong but i don't know if it's still alive but it was uh, i'll just i'll just paraphrase i think it was the joint african animators group um and it, it had it had amazing people in it who who pioneered people like nobis damlilo you, you know him as the founder of nafuna tv now I had guys like uh, Solomon Maramba and Marvel Banda and Clay Dongo and those those were like those are like the veterans of animation uh at one point called Joshua Nube was the was the chairman of that organization um and I think they they had they had a network um as that fell away comic exposed kind of emerged and inherited some members of that community including the people I mentioned who've been a uh, very very fervent supporters people like Shingai Mtezo and um I don't know if you guys remember some of the earliest animation work you might laugh at it now but it's super hard to do stuff like that I'm talking about the Evershop 15M commercials there were um mm, I remember yes. James Zimbabwean cricket back in the 90s there was this animation of this little field the guy who'd catch a cricket ball or you get hit in the head by a cricket that was all animated in zimbabwe by the likes of um shingai mtezo and then there was um there were short films that came out but anyway those guys were the they were the the pioneers and they started jag which was the network that existed before comic exposed the other the other group that i can think of 
that also does its best to bring together designers, but I know it as mainly a graphic design group. So they don't really push um, IP, like intellectual property or, or short films and things like that. They're called uh, GDZ. I'm, I'm not, I don't know if they know about us, but we know about them. <laughs> but GDZ <laughs> is a platform, it's a network for graphic designers. Um, and then if there are any others, I, I apologize and I will blame it on Texan for putting me on the spot. I, <laughs> yeah, but I, I do recognize that there are quite a few others that have tried to emerge and, and really contribute to the, to the effort as well. Interesting. Um, so going with efforts and developments in the space. So if we've come from part where, in retrospect, we would laugh at Zimbabwean animation or animations made in Zimbabwe, but not quite understand the technical, you know, uh, nuance mm. that went in with the resources available. Yeah. Uh, you know, juxtaposing that with what I'm going to talk about next is the um, Idea Bridge movie, the VR movie, the one you did in yeah. collaboration with the British Council. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Uh, I was excited when I saw it and I was like, okay, cool. This is you know, exclusive, <laughs> like this is massive and Zimbabweans are a part of it or Zimbabwean is a part of it. So I wanted to ask, how did that come about and how do you deal or how do you, how do you handle partnerships like that? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I, yeah, that's a great question. Those kinds of opportunities don't come often. <laughs> Um, that's that's for starters, and uh, because they don't, I'll start by by addressing the fact that they don't come often because it leads to the mentality that um, one has to have when you get that kind of opportunity, which is an, a mentality of executing something to the best of your ability because you won't get that shot again. You won't be able to fly your flag, uh, you know, under such such a project for a long time following that. So it came about from a proposal that uh, the team at uh, K Media actually came up with this. Uh, and I, I pretty much wrote the initial concept note um, to, to uh, you know, see if we could pursue a short film that wouldn't be viewed traditionally on screen, but would be viewed uh, through VR goggles. So um, it's an idea that we then pitched. Uh, we were asked to, to apply for uh, support for a project. And at the time, the British Council was looking for a project that would be uh, groundbreaking, something different, something digital, something that would also um, create an environment where UK artists and Zimbabwean artists could collaborate and produce something that's that hasn't been done or isn't done commonly. So at that point, I had uh, engaged with a studio in the UK called Slurpee. Um, I believe that was in 2015 when I first uh, got first was introduced to them. And they came to mind and I decided to approach them and ask them if they would be willing to, to partner with uh, Exposed in actually making this animation happen. So we, we came up with the, with the initial uh, pitch. Uh, then we had to apply and justify everything. And just talking about the hardware side of things that you mentioned, yeah, we we had to make sure we could be equipped adequately because tinkering with VR on standard computers is not a good idea. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. And at the same time, the animation itself, because it, it's a it's a very big project. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the team is rather lean. So to, to make up for that, you need to have very highly skilled people. And then you also need, you know, state-of-the-art computers. So that was a consideration that we also had to make. So um, uh, I don't know. You Do you want to know about the kind of computer I was using? Yes, please. Oh, okay. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I personally, I was I was the lead animator for Idea Bridge, so most of the hand drawn sequences were key animated by me. Uh, I was using um, I don't know if you know a brand called MSI. No, I don't. Yes, know. those are performance gaming machines. Uh, yeah. Of course, Edwin. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, excellent. Edwin's my kind of guy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, I don't know why these other guys are on Texas. It's like 
Edwin is the tech guy. I like that. So anyway, I was using, um, I was using um, an MSI G7, which is actually a machine that MSI built for architecture, engineering, and animation professionals. So uh, the specs on that are, it's a core, it's an Intel Core i7 ninth gen with an NVIDIA Quadro RTX 3000 on a mobile workstation with uh, 32 gigs of RAM, uh, one terabyte NVMe hard drive, and then another one terabyte SDD, both Samsungs. Um, I think I'm sitting on, yeah, it's, it's, I think it was one of the first three computers to be launched with an NVIDIA Quadro RTX. So it's, I mean, the latest one right now is the 3090. So the, this particular mm. desktop is a 3000. That was back in 2020 when we got it. So yeah, it was. It's a pretty cutting edge machine. Um, and then for I think this is a good. This is a good excuse for me to get an upgrade. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. You can actually. It's funny enough. It sounds super sophisticated, but it's a little bit outdated already. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, for the for the VR headset, we are working with an Oculus Go. So we, we're using the Oculus for that. So um, it's pretty cool because for once they've got the, the completely wireless ones. And um, yeah, it's running on Android on a Snapdragon. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. The Snapdragon 835, is it? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I did a review on that one as well, so... Be sure to check it out. Shameless plug. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So um, the other machines we used were, were mostly desktops for, for the supporting animators. Of course, we're using uh, Wacom tablets for the illustration. And I initially worked in a software called TV Paint, which is used for creating anime. And if you if you guys are into anime, like My Hero Academia and stuff like that, that's the kind of software yeah, yeah. you that's yeah. that's where Rufaro comes in. Yes. <laughs> Big anime fan now. Oh, awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was done um, with, and we were using um, project management software like Slack. And of course, we, want, we did a lot of Zoom calls because Slurpee is based in the UK. We're here in Zimbabwe. And uh, there, were, there was a lot of hard work that went into that uh, project. And that is yet to be done because right now we are still in, I can't really call it post-production because it's uh, the aspect where we tie together everything in, uh, we're using a game engine to set up the film uh, and make sure that it's- Is it Unreal built. Engine? No, we're, we're more of Unity guys. So we're using Unity. Oh, five. okay. Yeah. yeah, so. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, so that's how we are doing that, and how we we approach we approach that. It's still very much work in progress because what we what we showed off at Com Exposed last year was um, it was more of the teaser. So yeah, there's a lot more that's going to be happening when you view it in VR. And if all goes well, if Corona does not completely ruin everything, it will be showcased at the Manchester Animation Festival this year. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so you just mentioned Corona. Uh, and yeah, got me, got me thinking now. So how has the pandemic actually affected the creative space and creators in general? Yeah, it's been very quarantine-y. Um, a word. It's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a word indeed. It's Italian. Uh, so so it's, it's been extremely hard. It's been extremely difficult. At first... Um, I thought it was something that would be able to actually just brave through because, I mean, when we were working on projects like Idea Bridge, for example, we were already working remotely. That was um, early 2019 when we were setting everything up. Uh, sorry, not early 2019, late 2019 when we were setting everything up. Um, personally, I actually had a history of doing quite a bit of work remotely um, since 2012, between 2012 and 2016. Uh, a lot of the work that I'm credited for um, in film, in Western film, is work that I did remotely while I was in Zim and, you know, uh, the film studios were wherever they were based in the West. So, to be honest, uh, from my, my, my experience with the lockdowns and, and corona and everything, at first I felt it's, it would have been uh, something I could sustain considering my history working remotely, but it always catches up with you because 
in this particular case, um, there's there's always the the emotional or the how can I put it? It puts you down in a nutshell. It really puts you down because um, the the way you hear news now and the doom and gloom and uh, also the re- the obvious reduction in business. I mean, uh, advertising has been hard hit, um, and because it's been hard hit, obviously business hasn't been awesome. Um, it can create a, a sense of um, of doubt and a sense of discouragement. And if you're not really mentally prepared, it, it can really put you down and affect how you work. So the lockdown has been extremely hard. It's been it's been pretty hard psychologically. Um, but it also has introduced uh, a lot more efficiency because, uh, you know, when you're working remotely and you and you log in certain things like at, at our company, we, we use, you know, uh, project management software like Slack and so on. Uh, it can it can introduce a lot of efficiency when everyone knows what everyone else is supposed to be doing and when they're supposed to submit it. You know, you you get less of the you know I, my dog ate my homework type of excuses when it comes to delivering things. So, ironically, it, it's actually tightened up some loose ends and introduced some efficiency in certain areas we didn't expect. And um, yeah, it's it's also. Uh, in some cases, introduce some opportunities as well, where uh, the the playing field has been leveled. Now, different um, you know uh, types of corporates can look to companies like us just because they're forced to go online and actually say, okay, what are our options? Who are the people who've been working this way all along that we can count on to deliver, and so on and so on. And um, you know, it, it's had its ups and downs, but it's um, it's overall, it's uh, less than desirable, but um, it's been an uh, it's been an amazing learning experience all, all the same. Yeah, so that's that's Corona and the lockdown. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's never a good thing. Yeah, it's pretty terrible, and uh, yeah, it's been wreaking havoc on on a lot of things lately. But hey, yeah. switching to happier things. <laughs> oh, great! You got um, some of those. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like why not? Yeah, go <laughs> so for like, it. Uh, what what work are you most looking forward to in twenty twenty one and beyond? Uh, seeing as Kugali Media and Disney are working together, uh, sky's the limit, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I I, I think uh, there's a gentleman that I worked with a few years ago named Roya Okupe, and he he runs a studio called Unique Studios. Is a Nigerian guy. He also got a deal with Dark Horse Comics. And uh, Dark Horse is the publishing company that makes comics like Hellboy. And I think they make The Boys. I could be wrong. Yeah, The Boys. Uh, Yeah, yeah, so he's got a deal with them for 10 books. And, you know, so um, I know of a few other deals that are greatly benefiting some companies on the continent. I think um, the CEO of Comic Republic Media was on Comics Post last year. He was talking about some amazing opportunities that he's got as well with some streaming uh, platforms as well. So um, what I'm looking forward to the most is um, benefiting from the groundwork that was done by the Black Panther movie. <laughs> Sounds silly, but it, it, started, it started a scramble for African content and that's undeniable. Um, I, I'm working on a project that I'm very excited about I can't talk about it right now, but so that I don't come off like that guy, I'll drop a hint and say in 2017, Texan wrote an article about that project. It's not a comic book and it's not an animation. It's something much better. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, uh, so if you think... Down the yeah, rabbit hole so... we go. Sorry? Down the rabbit hole we go. Oh, yeah, find that article. yeah, that that article tells a lot. But the interesting news is uh, that we'll be releasing that particular thing uh, at the end of the year, and that's what I'm most excited about. And I think it's uh, it's something quite groundbreaking. It's very different, and um, yeah, let's just say I'm I'm very happy that there's there are traces of it from when we started back in 2017 and it's going to be huge. (laughs) 
<laughs> just just google eugene no, on text him and go back in time you'll find it i <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is, I, I, I had to do it i had to do it so guys uh, uh thank you very much eugene for joining us for this um little conversation of ours we learned quite a bit um and we hope to hear more developments from comics world and the African, Zimbabwean African comic book animation scene in general, because they're making some really, really, really good work. Um, particularly Junibar, like, yeah, I'm going to rave about him for a little bit. He's yeah. extraordinary. <laughs> like, oh, oh. Blows my mind. Yeah, you, you, I think there's, there's a lot you should be looking out for. There's a lot of stuff coming out of um, Sigma Digital Studio, uh, that's Zimbabwean. There's CCX Comics. That's also Zimbabwean. Uh, take a look at some of the stuff they're doing. They're doing some really amazing stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think I think it only goes up from here. And I just wanted to also say thanks a lot to you guys at Texim. I mean, you've stuck with Comicsposed as a media partner since the very first event, and you know that does not go unnoticed. We're we're really proud to to have a partnership with you guys. And thank you very much for having like me as well. Yeah. yeah. Likewise, uh, we hope to hear of more developments, more scoops, sneak peeks. You know, I'm sure Ed oh, will yeah. want to have like intimate conversations about tech and stuff. Because you, know, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> awesome, guys. All right. All right. So thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for Ed for joining me and liking me. And Rufaro, thanks for coming, <laughs> even though you hate me for whatever reason. <laughs> Um, yeah, under duress. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Cool. Bye.